Hey, if you haven't already figured out, I am a huge sports fan. In fact, the first thing I did when I came into church this morning was to look out for my Sri Lankan friends and ask them how the cricket was going. <laughs> to which they said, still one more game. And they reminded me that actually Sri Lanka are the number one rated 2020 team in the world. And I thought to myself, they were until today. So we will see what happens. But the reality is that one thing I've noticed about great teams and great sporting individuals is that they, they're always looking to improve. Yesterday's standards will never cut it for tomorrow. If the All Blacks just play the way they did five years ago, they wouldn't be world champions. They've got to improve. And so that's a great attitude to have in life. Always wanted to go forward. But rather than just learning from life situations, we have an advantage in that we can learn from the creator of the universe, the one who knows everything, the one who made everything. And we can learn from his textbook from life, the Bible. And so with that in mind, we're going to continue with our series through the book of John, and we're actually up to John chapter 2. So we're going to read that. I'm reading from the New International uh, Version, and it says this, verse 1, On the third day, a wedding took place at Cana in Galilee. Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone... Jesus' mother said to him, they have no more wine. Woman, why do you involve me? Jesus replied. Gosh, I should use that when my wife's talking to me, eh? <clears throat> That's a pretty good line. I could be quoting scriptures. Yeah, that. Anyway, <clears throat> my hour has not yet come. And I suppose my wife would say, your hour has come. <clears throat> His mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Nearby stood six stone water jars, the kind used by the Jews for ceremonial washing, each holding from 20 to 30 gallons. And Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. So they filled them to the brim. And then he told them, now draw some out and take it to the master of the banquet. So they did. And the master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He did not realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. Then he called the bridegroom aside and he said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink, but you have saved the best till now. What Jesus did here in Cana of Galilee was the first of the signs through which he revealed his glory and his disciples put their faith in him. Have you ever wondered why Jesus chose this situation and this miracle to be the very, very first public miracle that he ever did. Why wouldn't you do something like raise the dead? Or when there's a huge crowd roundabout, um, pray for someone who's blind or deaf and dumb and just heal them and get as much notoriety as you could. It wasn't what Jesus did. 
I don't really know why he chose this situation, but what I do know is that Jesus chose a family wedding, a family special occasion to do his first miracle. And as a result of that, his disciples believed in him. And I think one of the things that does is it shows us that Jesus wants to be involved in our everyday life, not just in our church services. So I wanted to speak this morning about everyday miracles. And there are a number of things that we can see from this passage that sort of stood out for me, lessons in life in a sense. And the first one that I saw was that in life, the wine always runs out. In 1965, the Rolling Stones released a song in the U.S. which became their first U.S. number one hit. Any of you old rockers know what that song would be? Their very first U.S. hit. Shout it out. You got it. I can't get no satisfaction. And that basically was really prophetic for the rest of their lives. They tried everything. They tried great fruit. They tried abundant sex. They tried boundless fame. They tried endless wealth. They tried enormous power. But 50 years later, they still can't get satisfaction. I mean, how sad is that? Life without God is empty. And the good times the world has to offer never completely satisfy and never completely last. It's like the wine always runs out. In fact, like the Rolling Stones, the writer of the book of Ecclesiastes says, meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. This was King Solomon. He was one of the most powerful men in the world at that time. And he goes on to explore wisdom and finds that not to fulfill the needs that he has. He then tries endless pleasure, and he says he denied himself nothing. He had, what, a thousand wives and concubines? Anything that he wanted, he took for himself. But that still didn't satisfy him. The work that he did, he built the temple of God, all those things he found not to satisfy. Personal advancement, riches didn't satisfy. Power didn't give lasting satisfaction. No matter what Solomon tried, it didn't give lasting satisfaction. And the problem is that we think we know better. And we all have a shot at pursuing all that stuff. Some of us, out of ignorance, because we don't know there's a better way. And some of us, because uh, we think we know better than God. But at the end of the day, the wine always runs out. And we're left scarred and empty with wrong priorities, wondering what life is all about. Uh, nothing that the world has to offer can give eternal satisfaction because there is a God-shaped hole in each one of us that can only be filled by God. 
The world can't give us peace. It can't fill the long in our heart. But when we try all this other stuff, sooner or later, the good times always come to an end. There's always a morning after. The wine always runs out. But, but, Jesus Christ's presence makes the difference in any situation. I think his attendance at this wedding shows that he's committed to people. I mean, his mission, the big picture stuff, was that he came to save the whole world. But in that three years of public ministry, that's 150 weeks of public ministry, he chose for one week to gather and celebrate with friends. The only reason we know about this wedding is because Jesus was there and his presence made a difference. Uh, they were going to run out of wine whether Jesus was there or not. Someone didn't plan things very well. And the reality is we, we all make mistakes. We all have problems. Sometimes they're of our own making. Sometimes because other people uh, make mistakes. Sometimes just because we're living in a world that's falling apart. Uh, the situation is not whether you will have a problem or not. That's not the question. The question is, what are you going to do when you have a problem? What are you going to do in your situation where the things that give you pleasure, the things that create meaning in your life, the things that you have sown your world into, what's going to happen when you have problems in those spheres? We, we all run out of wine, but Christ's presence makes the difference and he sustains us. Jesus talked about our lives as being like a house. And he said, some people build their house on the sand. Other people build their life, build their house on the rock of God and his word. Most houses get hit by storms from time to time. Hey, wouldn't you hate to be in Aussie at the moment with those bushfires just ripping through, just totally burning whole communities? If your heart was in your house, if you had sown your whole life into just that place, if that was your everything and your all, and through no fault of yours, a fire came through and just ripped it all out, killed a lot of it, crushed it, left you with nothing, how would you feel? You'd feel empty. You'd feel destroyed. In fact, in those situations... Those are the very situations that the Assemblies of God chaplains go into and just make a huge, huge, huge difference because people's lives have come to an end, so they think, because they've got nothing else to build their lives on. And Jesus said, most houses get hit by storms. Christians aren't exempt from struggles and problems. If someone has told you, come to Jesus Christ and all your problems will be over, they've told you a lie. Because the reality is, when you come to Jesus Christ, you have got an enemy of enemies who absolutely hates you, 
and doesn't want you to fulfill the plans and the purposes that God has for you. But when you come to the end of the self, you can look to philosophy, you can look to your finances, you can look to sex, you can look to entertainment, you can look to religion, you can look to sport, <coughs> you can look to self-esteem, uh, you can look anywhere you want. But none of these things is going to ultimately satisfy you, but Jesus Christ's presence will make the difference in any and every area of your life if you invite him into it. And that brings me to my third observation from this passage, is that Jesus goes everywhere that he's invited. Jesus was at the wedding because he was invited. And if you would invite him, he would come into your life or any area of your life that you've shut him out of and need his help. Jesus Christ came into my life in 1971 when I asked him to come into my life when I was at um, Massey University in Palmerston North. And that just completely changed the direction that I was headed in. And that wasn't just a oneer. I invite him into all areas of my life all the time. I say, God, come afresh into my family. Come afresh into my marriage. Come into my work situation. Come into my ministry. Lord, help me. Give me wisdom. The One of the things that I've found in life is that I haven't got the wisdom, I haven't got the brains to live life to my potential outside of Jesus Christ. And every one of us will be in the same situation. It doesn't matter whether you've got no degree or a PhD. You haven't got the smarts to live life to the full without Jesus Christ because you were created to live partnering with him. And I believe that Jesus is interested in every area of your life. I remember back six years ago when Penn and I were wanting to sell our house. We pray about everything. And so we were praying about when we should sell it. We were praying about how much to sell it for. We were praying about who to sell it through. And we had lots of options here. But as we were praying, we really felt that the Holy Spirit was saying, hey, it doesn't matter who you sell it through because I'm going to sell it for you. And I thought, that's pretty good. So we chose a real estate agent who had only just got her license. She hadn't sold any houses at that stage. But she was a Christian and she came to our church and we just had absolute confidence that God was going to sort the situation out. So, very first open home, we had a contract on the house for exactly what we wanted. And it went through. I think it's probably the only house that she ever sold, that lady. In fact, I, no, I think she sold one other afterwards. Only two houses. She's not even working in real estate now. But I mention that to say, hey, when you give situations and circumstances to the Lord, he can work them out. He says that he can turn all things to good for those that love God and accord according to his purposes. But we just got to give him the opportunity. Jesus doesn't want just to be involved in your life one day a week. You weren't created uh, to have a relationship with God just on Sundays. 
as good as Sundays might be, you were created to have a relationship with God Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, as well as Sunday. He wants to be involved in every area of your life, your business, your family, your studies, your friends, your relaxation. He wants to be involved in all aspects of your life, but you've got to invite him in. You've got to ask for his help. If there's an area in your life that you're struggling with or you need help with, invite him in because he's going to make the difference. The areas of your life that are going really well, invite him, ask him to make them better. The areas that you're really, really smart in, ask him to give you an edge in those situations and those circumstances. Every one of us have been given time, talents, resources, and he wants you to be able to maximize those for your benefit and the benefit of the kingdom. It's interesting, in Ephesians 3.20, which is one of my favorite verses, it says, Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more. I think in the Amplified Version it says, Now to him who's able to do far exceedingly abundantly above all we ask or even imagine, according to his power that's at work within us. The reality is, he does amazing things when we ask him. It's like having a 100,000 litre tank of beautiful water sitting next to your house in a time of drought. And you're not using it. That'd just be dumb, wouldn't it? He wants you to turn on the tap. He wants to let the water of his Holy Spirit flow into and through your life. He's sitting there, this amazing resource, this person who wants to bless you. But you've got to ask him to be a part of the situations and the circumstances of your life. Because he's not going to do much without your invitation. You are the key to your own destiny. But to fulfill your destiny, you need to partner with Jesus Christ. Let him help you, but you've got to invite him in because he's going to go wherever he's invited. Number four, do what Jesus says. This is all pretty basic stuff. One of the core values we have as Church Unlimited Whangarei is that we want to be led by the Holy Spirit. And that means listening to and doing what Jesus said. Jesus' mother said to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Now, this is a really, really interesting situation because you put yourself in the situation of Jesus' mother, and that was a real statement of faith. Why? Because she had never seen him do a miracle before. So how did she know? This is his first miracle. And yet she was able to say, Hey, do whatever he says. Why? Because she had a relationship with him. She knew him. She knew he was special. She knew that he was the savior of the world. She just hadn't seen 
the miraculous happen through him at that time. Sometimes we just don't understand why God says a certain, certain thing. The servants wouldn't have known why they would have filled the pots up with water. But they did what Jesus said, and a miracle took place. Uh, Obedience to God is one of the great keys in the Word of God, not only to our relationship with God, but also in seeing His hand at work in your life. John 14, 15 says, If you love me, you will obey what I command you. In other words, because we love, we obey. So when my wife asks me to empty the dishwater, dishwater, the dishwasher, I do it not because I want to. How many guys like emptying dish, dishwashers? Nobody likes that sort of stuff. But I do it because I love her. And one of her love languages is doing. And the same things when you get in a relationship with Jesus Christ, when you really get to know him, you want to please him. You want to do that stuff that really, really pleases him. In Proverbs 3 verse 5, it says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not unto your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your path straight. Now that doesn't mean that you put your brain aside. That doesn't mean that the intellect that he's given you isn't useful. Quite the contrary. God expects us to use what he has given us, but he expects us to use it under his authority, submitting these things to him. Don't lean only on your own understanding. In all your ways, submit it to God, and he will make your path straight. I always think it's better for us to listen to what he's saying, to try and do what he wants us to do, rather than just go in your own way. In fact, the Bible is full of contrasting statements about what it's like to trust in yourself as opposed to trusting in God. You'll find that in Psalm 1. You'll find it in Jeremiah chapter 17. Jeremiah chapter 17, it says, Cursed is the man who trusts in man and makes man his strength. And it goes on to say, hey, he's like a bush planted in the middle of a desert. But blessed is the man who trusts in the Lord. And it goes on to say, hey, the guy who trusts in the Lord is like a tree planted by rivers of water whose leaves will not wither when a drought comes. That's the kind of person that I want to be. But it's a process of learning to trust. It's a process of taking little steps. It's a process of building your relationship up because the more that you know somebody, the more you're going to trust or distrust that person. So comes out of relationship there. Some people 
would believe what they like from the Word of God and reject what they don't like out of the Word of God. But then, basically, all they're doing is believing in themselves. So get into God's Word and see what He will do. You know, the servants obeyed completely. They filled the water pots up, and a miracle happens. Have you ever thought about when the miracle happened? I mean, we don't know when that transformation took place. Did it happen when they dropped the buckets down into the well? Was it when they carried the buckets to the pots? Was it when they poured the water into the pots? Was it when the water sat in the pots? Was it when they drew the water out of the pots? We don't know. But at some stage during the process of obedience, the miracle happened. And you always find, when will your miracle happen? I don't know. But it'll happen during the process of obedience. It's interesting that it was the servants who saw the miracle. The master of the banquet didn't know a miracle had taken place. Most of the people at the banquet didn't know that a miracle had taken place. In fact, in verse 9 that we read, it says, The master of the banquet tasted the water that had been turned into wine. He didn't realize where it had come from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. It's been my experience over the years that those who are faithful in serving God, they're the ones that see the miracles. Servanthood is a doorway to the miraculous, not because we earn a miracle. No, but because when we serve, we put ourselves in a situation of to see and receive. People who serve place themselves under God's influence, and that's where miracles happen. The fifth observation that I make is that Jesus makes things the best that they can. The, the governor said, everyone brings out the choice wine first and then the cheaper wine after the guests have had too much to drink. But you save the best till now. The governor tasted the wine. It was the best. It wasn't just ordinary wine. It was better than all the other wine that had been presented. And that is so like Jesus. He always gives us the best. The best moment of my life was when I met Jesus Christ, but it kept on getting better. The next best moment of my life was when I met my wife. And that keeps on getting better. And that's a miracle. 40 years married to me. I mean, anyone. Uh, that, that's really, really, really miraculous. But the reality is, Jesus always saves the best for now. Jesus wants to do far exceedingly, abundantly above all that we can ask or even imagine. And think about this. Shakespeare could take a worthless piece of paper, write words on it, and make it into an amazing piece of literary history. Da Vinci, Mona, Van Gogh, Rembrandt, all these paintings that, we've, um, that Penny and I have seen in London art galleries, they just took a blank canvas and painted their dreams on this. And they became masterpieces. 
Einstein scrawled a bit of a formula on a chalkboard and opened the door to another universe. But that is nothing compared to our God, the creator of the universe, who says, you are my masterpiece. You are the one that I've created. You are the one that I want to build into something which is absolutely amazing, absolutely phenomenal. And when he says that we are his workmanship, that tells me that we're a work in progress, but he has fantastic plans and purposes for each and every one of us. He says, I want you to enjoy my best. I think we're a bit like those six water pots. Without Jesus, we're just stony and empty. But with Jesus Christ, we can be filled with his best if we would let Jesus do his transforming work in us and through us. If you would do what Jesus says, you will see miracles in your everyday life. Let's have the musicians up, please. Finally, God wants to bless you, not just, not just so that you can be blessed, but so that others might believe in him. Verse 11 says, This, the first of his miraculous signs, Jesus performed at Cana in Galilee. He thus revealed his glory, and his disciples put their faith in him. The purpose of that miracle was not just to turn water into wine. It was not just to bless the people at the wedding. It was so others might believe in Jesus. When people see you being blessed, they will ask, How come? God wants to touch your life in such a way that people will ask you, how come? He wants to bless you, make you a blessing and a light in this world. God wants others to see the difference that Jesus Christ makes in your life. Our influence in lives is never, neg- is never neutral. It's either positive or negative. Many of you would know an explorer in Africa called, the, called Stanley. He said a very famous thing. He said, Livingstone, I presume. When in the middle of nowhere, he met David Livingstone. This is what also he wrote. He said, when I saw the unwearied patience that unflagging zeal and those enlightened sons of Africa, I became a Christian at Livingstone's side, though he never spoke to me one word about Jesus Christ. In other words, what he said was that David Livingstone's life was a beacon of hope for him. And he was prepared to serve God, to ask Jesus Christ into his life simply because of the way that David Livingstone lived. 
if people were to walk in your footsteps, I wonder where that would take them. Uh, We need to be so full of the Holy Spirit, so full of the goodness of God, not perfect, but full of God so that people around about us would know that there is something different about us and that that difference is Jesus Christ. Because we are God's light out in the world. We're planted where we're planted so that His Holy Spirit can flow not only to us to bless us, but through us to touch others. Amen. Some people think that coming to Jesus Christ means the end of all the good times and the start of nothing. It's a persecution from sin, but it's not. It's a release into life. I read recently that in the United States they have a million cars stolen every year. That's a lot of stolen cars. But the most intense hunt for a car thief actually happened in 1981. A chap who was heading off to his cabin in the wilderness, as he got into his car and began to back down the drive, realized that he'd left the keys to the cabin in the kitchen. So leaving the motor running, he jumped out, ran into the house, and just at that time, an opportune thief came past jumped in the car, drove away. What the thief didn't know was that in this chap's cabin, he had a rat problem. And so what he had done is he had taken deadly poison strychnine and he had soaked a couple of packets of biscuits in strychnine And he had them on the front seat of his car that he was taking up to the cabin. Well, they put out an all points bulletin trying to find this car thief. It was on the TV, it was on the radio. Everybody was trying to find this thief, not just to apprehend him, but to save his life. And that's what it's like with Jesus Christ. He wants to save our lives. Yes, He wants to stop us from doing something stupid, but primarily, He wants to save us. So if you're here this morning, if the wine is starting to run out in your situations and circumstances, if you need a miracle in your life and you've never ever given your life Jesus Christ. I wonder, just with every head bowed, every eye closed, if you want to know this 
King of kings, the Lord of lords, the God of the universe, the one who wants to help in every situation and circumstance, the one who comes into our lives, who forgives us of our sins, the dumb things that we've done, and gives us the peace which passes all understanding, something that we just can't explain, but something which we experience and promises us eternity with Himself. If that's you this morning, you want to know Him, you've never asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, or if you have and you're not living for Him now and you want to just rededicate your life to Christ, just with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want you just to raise your hand. I'll see it and I'll begin to pray for you. Is anyone like that here this morning?